welcome to Back to Excited, episode 201. My name is Arvin, joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooliman. Hi, everybody. Fooliman, the playoffs are here. We made it. And we knew this was coming by, like, November latest. And then we had to go through five months of a season where there was very little to play for. But we've made it to this point, and the Leafs now have a chance to either redeem their numerous failures... Or to add to them and probably doom this version of the team. Yep, so that's fun. No pressure. Um, so we're going to do our, our you know, preview prod, pod, as we do uh, every year. Um, a lot of this will be focused on Tampa Bay. You know, we, we assume most people listening to this are Leafs fans and are familiar with the Leafs. We'll mix in, you know, have the Leafs match up and how we think things are going to go. Um, you know, and how we feel about the Leafs in their particular lineups and, and their players um, as it is relevant. But this will primarily be focused on the Lightning as a get-to-know-them. And, of course, you know, they are a very familiar opponent at this mm-hmm. point. We, we saw them last year. We've seen them in the division for a while. And, of course, if you have watched um, playoff hockey over the last three years, well, really longer than that, but especially the last three years, the Tampa Bay Lightning have featured prominently. Yes. They're a big-deal team. And that is going to recur in our discussion of them because the status and the majesty of the Tampa Bay Lightning, that identity that they've developed, is kind of a factor for why you might pick them. Yes. In light of a, of a lot of other factors, that might suggest you shouldn't. Right. So I think that's a good place to start. Um, a, I think this, this is not a unique thought by any stretch, but I think almost everyone who has analyzed the series has come to the conclusion that if you look at how these teams have performed this year, the Leafs should be favorites. Mm-hmm. I don't really think there's much doubt about that. The Leafs are the two seed, the Lightning are the three seed. There's actually a rather considerable, considerable gap in the standings between them. It's 13 um, points. Yes. Which is a lot. Which like, is a lot. That is very considerable. That's the same as the gap between... Uh, it's actually larger than the gap between Tampa and the Ottawa Sanders, mm-hmm. which is kind of staggering. The Leafs were fourth in the league. Tampa Bay was 13th in the league. Like this, this is not a matchup of two teams that have performed equally well in the regular season. Right? Um, and this goes beyond just the standings. The Leafs have done better in terms of, obviously, you know, wins, but also have done better in terms of goal differential. They've done better in terms of expected goals. They're pretty similar in, in, in Corsi. Um, They've sort of consistently outperformed Tampa over the course of the entire year. And this has been especially true recently where Tampa has undergone a bit of a backslide. So we'll get into more, you know, why and how the Leafs are sort of favorites on paper if you divorce the teams from all their context. But it's just important to know that that is the case. Yes. However, (laughs) you can't divorce the the two teams from their histories because the Leafs have arguably the worst playoff history of any team that has been in the playoffs in recent memory Mm -hmm. and the Lightning have the best. Yeah. You you know, I mentioned the Leafs are a clear paper favorite based on what they've done this year and that's kind of concerning to me (laughs) because this is not the first time they've been a paper favorite in the Matthews era. Um, I don't think they were ever a severe underdog after the Leafs Capital series. Like they were right there with Boston, even if they were a little bit underrated. 
Um, and, you know, as we've mentioned before, they should have beat Montreal. They should have beat Columbus. And they were at least even in the sort of pre-series odds with Tampa last year. And they only finished one goal short, so that was not too far off. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's obviously everyone knows we're wrestling with the weight of history here. Right. And it's not just us who, who is saying this. Um, most predictive models that we that we have access to, public predictive models, have Toronto as the favorites. Dom Lushishan at The Athletic has 63% Toronto. Money Puck has 59 to 60% Toronto. Um, betting markets, which, you know, are not always, but can be thought of as, you know, a rough, you know, uh, poll of public opinion in some sense, or at least where money is, um, is about 58 to 60% Toronto, depending on how you remove the VIG. Uh, so people seem to think that this Leafs team should be the favorite. I, I generally agree with that. I think we both do. Um, it's interesting that the betting markets are a little lower on Toronto than the public predictive models, and that's because public predictive models do not really account for or ex- explicitly account for um, the history of these teams. Mm-hmm. And when you do so, it becomes a lot more, uh, I don't know, palatable or a lot easier to talk yourself into the lightning. Um, there's also, you know, the fact that some of Toronto's difference in goal differential this year, or difference in outperformance, sorry, outperforming of Tampa this season, will get clawed back. Toronto's backups, but where I'm kind of lumping in everyone who was not Ilya Samsonov, have performed better than Tampa Bay's backups, and both of them are kind of irrelevant in this playoff series. Mm-hmm. So that reduces the gap a little bit. But nonetheless, um, people are a little bit leery of this Leafs team, and who can blame them? Yeah. At this point, if you're not a little bit leery of this Leafs team, I don't know what you've been doing or if you've been awake in the past few years. At the same time, I said after last playoffs, I did not think that the Leafs showed any kind of fatal flaw. They didn't do everything perfectly. They lost. But it wasn't in the sense that, like, you pointed to something and said, there was this damning critical Achilles heel that got cut here. And it's always going to doom this team to irrelevancy. With that in mind, I like a lot of what Toronto brings to this series. Um, We're going to go through the Tampa Bay Lightning line by line and pairing by pairing in the course of this podcast. And again, it is going to be focused more on them. So you can get kind of a feel for what we're up against and what risk they might present. But my big takeaway is absolutely the Leafs can hang with these guys and... I can see why you would pick the Tampa Bay Lightning. There is no sane analysis that says that the Tampa Bay Lightning outclassed Toronto. That is stuff that's coming from guys who have 1967 tattooed on their asses. Like, so I hope it's some reassurance to think like, look, they're at least in this with a great chance (laughs) as a starting Mm -hmm. point. Right. I mean, the fundamental issue with that, though, is even irrespective of the Leafs, um, you know, penchant for fucking shit up, you know, (laughs) stepping on rakes, doing what they do. Um, Even a series where you are, you know, by most accounts, or even let's say by all accounts, the better team on paper are not guaranteed to go your way, right? The, The famous Lightning versus Blue Jackets examples and many, many others throughout hockey history. Hockey is a fairly random sport. 
and you know teams that are perceived to be worse not you know somewhat regularly beat teams that are perceived to be better in playoff series yeah and you know i've talked about this throughout the year i don't think you can be an 80 20 favorite over the tampa bay lightning because the tampa bay lightning are who they are and it's a salary cap league you can't build up that kind of margin on them if the leafs have gotten to a point where they're a legit let's say 65 35 team you know where they they're gonna win two-thirds of the time that's a testament to good team building. That still means they lose a pretty big proportion of the time. Right. And this gets into a bunch of other questions about, you know, how should the Leafs react to another loss? We're not going to really get into that here. It's a bit too existential. We'll have time after Game 7 to do that. <laughs> um, Possibly a lot of time. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, the, I guess where we're coming at from this intro, just to hammer the point home... Um, the Leafs match up completely fine, in fact, well, with Tampa on paper. We, the question is, how close is Tampa on paper to what Tampa will be, you know, come game one? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I think that's an open question. It's worth noting, in the last 25 games of this year, Tampa has been bad. Like, straight up bad. Not like, oh, they've taken the gas off, they've taken their foot off the gas. Um, they have been very below average. They have gotten around 43% of the goals in the last 25 games. That is not something a team wants to do. Uh, they, their offense has sort of fallen off a cliff. It's been compounded by them being unable to convert on the shots they have been taking. Uh, and, and actually, in general this year, this is true for both the Leafs and Tampa, um, they have not been high... They've not been elite finishing teams at 5-on-5. Five five. Uh, I wouldn't count on that continuing for Tampa. They, and you could make the same argument for Toronto. Both teams were above average finishing teams last year, mm-hmm. with, where the core on their roster has not changed that dramatically. But, um, yeah, like the, the Lightning have just genuinely been quite poor for the last 25 games. Now, the common retort to that is they haven't been playing for anything. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a reasonable retort to a degree. But the same was basically true last year. And people said, you know, last year, the um, I've seen people say this year that last year the Lightning limped into the playoffs as well. And maybe they did in terms of wins and losses, but I checked their numbers. And in the last 25 games last year, they were comfortably above average in all major 5v5 stats, you know, scoring chance percentage, XG percentage, goals, goals for percentage, all of that. And those numbers were all relatively similar to what they were over their entire season. Mm-hmm. They didn't seem to take a very big step back in the last 25 games or so from my cursory examination like they have this year. And despite teams, despite like motivation being a pretty reasonable, uh, I guess, excuse for poor performance, I don't know if it excuses straight up poor performance for such a large part of the year because at the end of the day, these players are still competitors. They're still trying to win games. They might not be putting every ounce of their fiber and being into every single game, into every single puck battle. But I have a hard time believing that they were just chill with losing for such a long time. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to hammer this too far. But, like, you have to emphasize, that's a third of the season where they played like a team that would have missed the playoffs over 82 games. Probably. Anyway. Like, they played poorly. Now, it's Tampa Bay. No one thinks that that's how good they actually are. If it is, by the way, they're probably going to get smoked, but no one thinks that. The question is, does it mean anything? 
Well, if the Leafs had limped in this hard in the last 25 games, you can bet we would be talking about it. Because Tampa, Tampa Bay has earned some benefit of the doubt the Leafs haven't. But even so, I don't think that's nothing. Like, it would give me pause if I were a Tampa Bay fan. It's like, hey, I know that we're still sort of just all focused on game one here. But boy, we got to do something. Also, it's not like the Leafs had a ton to play for down the stretch anyway. Right. So... And again, the same was the same was true last year. I people would say, well, the, the Leafs haven't earned the right to take the regular season off. Yeah. But they also very visibly did take some of the regular season off. They were resting players left and right, as I'm sure Tampa was at points as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Sheldon Keefe was messing with the lines to absurd degrees. Yeah. And the Leafs still performed better. And this is not really to like take shots at Tampa or dance on their grave or anything. As we just said, there is a very very good chance that they win this series. I just think we can't completely discount that they have been poor yeah. for a fairly substantial chunk of time. This is going to run through the podcast. Look, we have a ton of respect for the Tampa Bay Lightning. They're probably the best team in the last 10 years, all in all. At the same time, we can't just have the whole podcast being like, oh my God, we're so scared. Um, because that's not analysis. That's just bad stuff has happened to you when you're reciting it. Tampa Bay looks vulnerable and they have played down um from what their reputation previously was and this is also you know consistent with the life cycle of a team Mm -hmm. tampa hit their peak you know with that incredible hundred and whatever hundred and like bajillion whatever point season where they lost in the first round of course but then you know uh, continue to extend that peak and we're probably similarly good mm-hmm. the next year maybe we're a little worse the year after but still very very good and good enough to win a cup and still very good the year after but a little bit worse and good enough to get to the cup final and each year they've you know lost some players mm-hmm. and they've they've done a very very good job of bringing new blood in they've done a very good job of you know minimizing the losses that they have had and choosing who to prioritize and who not to prioritize mm-hmm. and their stars have held on as they've extended into their early 30s in the case of uh, Hedman and Stamkos and their late 20s in the case of Kucherov. They're still extremely good players, although maybe one or two of them has taken a slight step back from their peak. But this is just what the salary cap does. This is what the life cycle of a team is. A team hits their peak and then they slowly, slowly step down. And I think Tampa is like pretty clearly not as good a team now as they were three years ago. Mm-hmm. Right, where they just had a, a, an absurd bevy of talent, a, you know, absolutely silly roster up and down. Yeah, and the thing that we've seen with the great teams in the salary cap era, when it's a team that can sustain itself longer term and continue to contend for Stanley Cups, you find yourself looking at the earliest rosters they had that they contended with and being like, that was absurd how stacked that was. Like the Blackhawks the, in 2010, same thing. 2010, yeah. That's, I was about to say the exact same thing. Yeah, like they spun off so much talent because that team was obscenely deep. Um, Tampa Bay, similar thing. We're now seeing them towards the end of that life cycle, probably, unless they get another spectacular draft hit. You know, if you hit on mm-hmm. a Kucherov type in the second round, then suddenly your window opens up again. Yeah. I think we'll be saying a similar thing about the, the avalanche of last season. Yeah, that seems very right. believable we'll, to me. We'll look back and then be like, well, holy shit, that was, inc- that was an insane team. And it's already, ha- like, they, the avalanche lost people this year. This is what the salary cap does. Mm-hmm. Um, for the Lightning specifically, last summer, those players were Ryan McDonough and Andre Palat. Yeah. Andre Palat uh, has been injured this year, but is part of a, very, a good team in Jersey. 
McDonough went to Nashville and performed well. These are good players. They wouldn't. They didn't want to lose them. Yes, and I think right? you know Yan Ruda also went. He's less of yes. a loss, but I think you can see the impact of Ryan McDonough leaving, and we're going to talk about it when we talk about the defense pairings. But yeah, I also think you can see the missing spot where Andre Palat would have gone. Um, and that's not to say that Tampa is not a good team. It's more like they're like the aging wolf a little bit. They're still mm-hmm. savvy and tough as all hell and belligerent, and they'll kill you if they can. But they are not the endlessly energetic and deep um, crushing machine that they once were. They once were. Right. All, all this decline that we're talking about from Tampa has turned them from by far the best team in the NHL to a clearly above average team. Mm-hmm. Which may be holding something, and maybe even higher than that, because they may be holding something in reserve. Yeah. So, as we said, a lot of this series just boils down to history. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the issue is all the fringe factors, all the history does point to Tampa, right? Yeah. I, I mentioned the difference of performance due to backups. That's kind of clawed back a little bit. So the gap between the teams is smaller. There, there's some gap maybe due to differential motivations. Maybe the gap is a little bit smaller because of that. Uh, you, you know that Stamkos and Point and Kucherov and Hedman raise their game in the playoffs, and maybe you're worried that the Leafs stars don't. The gap gets a little bit smaller because of that. And then you can just see how these stack up and maybe talk yourself into, oh, t- like, Tampa should win. Mm-hmm. But then, you, you know, it, it relies on all these small little factors adding up to, you know, overcoming the fairly large difference between regular season performance for these teams. Right. So I don't think they do entirely, but they do make it closer than the regular season would have it seem. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that that's sort of where it stands. You know, Tampa's a good team and they're a good team that they're going to fight until that they're going to fight. Eh, they're a good team and they are going to fight until they die. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and it's not going to be easy. I don't think, I don't think anyone thinks it's going to be easy, yeah. but the Leafs should not be cowering in fear. Yeah. Um, even though we may feel like doing that at times because we have horrible playoff PTSD at this point in the life cycle. Um, do you want to uh, get talking about the lines? Let's do it. All right. We are going to try and break down the Tampa Bay Lightning. First, their forward lines, and then their defense pairings. And we'll talk a little bit about special teams and goaltending, because those things do come up. Um, lines are not set in stone. Even since I made these notes, the lines have changed in practice. Needless to say, they can change on a dime. This will give you sort of a feel for what the Tampa Bay Lightning roster looks and feels like, but it is very much not anything set in iron. Still, it's a starting point for us to talk about. Yeah, both John Cooper and Sheldon Keefe are um, not at all averse to whipping out the line blender during the game. Exactly. Um, the first line, so to speak, I have Brandon Hagel, Braden Point, and Nikita Kucherov. Now, this is the first example of what I just talked about in terms of line blenders, because regularly... And in their most recent practice, John Cooper likes to put Steven Stamkos at first line left wing to create a super line. They play a lot of minutes. At some point, the Leafs are going to see it. And it's a very dangerous line. Still, if they're balancing the lineup, you'll see Hagel there. Okay, what does this line look like? Well, it's really productive, as you'd expect with a line that has Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov on it. But it's not world annihilating. Um, Long-time listeners of this pod will know how we've talked about the Patrice Bergeron line, and there have been multiple Patrice Bergeron lines in the past. It's him, Marchand, and whoever. Um, But those tend to warp the series. They actually really shift things in a major way because of 
how good they are offensively and defensively. Right. Everything becomes about, you know, how do we do against that line? And what it's like, it's like Poochie from, from Itchy and Scratchy. Like when, when people are not, on, <laughs> when he's on the ice, everyone should be asking like, where's Poochie? And when he's not on the ice, people should be asking, where's Poochie? It's like, that, like that's the thing with Bergeron, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like they're dominant. And you could tell in our previews for the Boston series, we were talking about like, look, the Leafs have to try and find a way to not get killed in these minutes, to try and saw off basically against the Bergeron line and then make up the margin on depth. I respect this line a lot. Like Hegel point Kucherov could be a second line on a lot of international teams. Like it's a very good line. At the same time, the Leafs should not be conceding that they can't outscore this line straight up by any means. Mm -hmm. It's, um, it's beatable defensively. Point has a good defensive reputation. It's, fallen back somewhat in recent years. Um, sorry, I should say in this year specifically, as has Tampa generally in terms of their defense getting a little bit worse. Um, he's still a great shooter. He had 50 goals this year, and they're well- a Very quiet 50-goal campaign. Yeah, Braden Point is going to be one of those guys, I think, because he's a bit overshadowed by the other guys on the team, where people look at the end of his career and they're like, oh yeah, this guy has really Hall of Fame totals. Um Anyway, that's who's playing at first line center. Um, great. Yeah, his skating has obviously improved since it famously led to him being taken in the third round of the draft. He's not a burner or anything, but he's really just a great all-around offensive player. Um, Brandon Hagel, as a left wing, has settled in really nicely. He had 30 goals this year and 64 points. I think obviously a lot of the credit for that goes to his line mates. At the same time, he's fit in very neatly, and he is the primary reason I'm not taking a victor lap about Tanner Janot, <laughs> um, that trade that they've uh, that they made at this deadline, because Tampa seems to know what it's doing when it gets these complementary players who are tenacious on the forecheck and versatile to play around their stars. Um, yeah, Hagel has worked out for them. Uh, yeah, Tam Tampa's yeah. pro scouting. I guess, much like the rest of Tampa, has earned some benefit of the doubt. Yeah, like, you have to give them a certain amount of credit. Um, Jano, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Am I right on that? Uh, uh, Jano? Yeah. yeah. Okay. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry. Uh, he is the only... Tano G-Not. <laughs> that, that, that's... <laughs> it, could, it could be anything, really, but... No, I'm, I'm, I'm quite certain it's Jano. Yeah, okay, good. Um, he's not playing in the playoffs to start. We may see him as the series goes on. I think Tampa paid a borderline insane price for him at the deadline, but one, that price doesn't do us any good now. And two, as we've said, Tampa gets some benefit of the doubt. So if he comes back, I'm not ruling out him being any kind of difference maker. Um, for now, looking at Hagel point Kucherov, this is a ferocious offensive line. Kucherov is a great, great all-around player. He is also just dirty as shit. It's going to be really annoying some of the stuff that he does, as well as Tampa in general. But it works for him, and it's effective. Uh, you know, Tampa has a strategy that we've talked about before and we'll talk about again, which combines two important planks. One of them is they can't call everything, and two is they will try to even up the calls. And so Tampa is quite comfortable taking and drawing a huge number of penalties. Kucherov is a big part of that partly because he's so good offensively that teams will tend to take penalties to foul him, but also because he's going to do a lot of dirty stuff that provokes retaliation. The Leafs have to be ready for that one way or another. 
And yes. whether you think the best strategy is to try and shrug it off, which I don't think the Leafs want to do. Um, a whole lot of what the Leafs have done in the past year has been, let's get tougher and let's get more belligerent. Or whether you think, you know, the Leafs have to try and get their own back when they can. This is something that's going to be talked about. A couple things I want to tack on to this. Um, you said Kucherov is a, is a brilliant all-round player. I think that should be amended to Kucherov is a brilliant all-around offensive Yes, player. that is what I was trying to say, because defensively Kucherov, not so much. Yes, and that really is the difference between Kucherov and Point as players this season and Matthews and Marner as players this season. Mm-hmm. Um, Matthews and Marner have, quite simply, better defensive re- uh, impacts and results. Now, again, one can argue that, well, that's the regular season, this is the playoffs, and, you know, they'll step it up, and, and sure, but, we're, you know... That, that's sort of an, an, an inarguable point. Oh my God, I can't speak at all today. An inarguable point. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I'm not sure what can really be said to, to address that other than I guess, I guess we'll see. But at least in principle, that's where the Leafs have an advantage, with, even with their top-end players, right? And, and this is sort of what I was referring to of, you know, Tampa's top-end players maybe have taken a tiny step back and they're no longer the absolute very, very best players in the league, mm-hmm. right? Kucherov's defensive weaknesses have um, exa- have like taken him down from probably a top three skater in the world to maybe a top 10 skater in the world. Still very, very good, but that difference matters. Yeah. Right? Um, the other thing worth noting, if the Leafs make it to the cup this year, this they're not going to find an easier first line to face than this. Right, which is not to say this is an easy first line or, or anything like that, but like every contending team has a first line that is this good. Yeah, and that might sound a little bit insane because we're talking about Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov. Um, Kucherov is going to be a lock Hall of Famer. Point might well get there. At the same time, Hagel, Point, Kucherov as a line had 51% of the goals this year. That's not that good. For a first line of this caliber, that's actually very ordinary. Now, a lot of that was on ice save percentage. Um, theirs was bad. The puck was going against them. I wouldn't anticipate that's going to continue with Andre Vasilevsky in that. At the same time, their underlines were all clustered around the mid-50s, which is good. But it's not light the world on fire good. And it's not as good as anything Matthews has done with either Marner or Nylander. The Leafs can go power for power against this line. And expect to win because they have better defensive players, especially if it's Matthews and Marner. Mm-hmm. Would be my and guess. if they don't win, I mean, that's that's the then that's when the the concerns about the team construction rise up because it's like, well, then you you are paying Matthews and Marner yeah. to win matchups against guys who are very very good. That is their job. Yeah, and right, you, you have to trust them to do like, and they've done it well in the regular season. You have to trust them to do it. Yeah, um, last year in the playoffs. Uh, Matthews and Marner kind of scuffled in the middle of the series. They had some hard times matching up against Victor Hedman. They looked better at the beginning at the end. Um, as we've said, as good as Point and Kucherov are, and I am already uneasy about how much we may have seen to denigrate Nikita Kucherov in the last five minutes, mm-hmm. this is beatable. This is not like a, oh, hang on for dear life thing. This is a, if you're serious, you have to look at this line and say, we can match that. And we can maybe even outperform that. 
This is going to be a very dangerous offensive line in any situation. They are probably going to get goals. Um, oh, almost certainly. They, they're going to make the Leafs look stupid at some point. Yes. Especially if, um, with Stamkos on their wing, if, if, you know, if and when that happens, really. Yeah, and we'll talk about this kind of in the context of the first power play unit, where Stamkos and Point and Kucherov all feature. But there's so much scoring ability there that they're very, very hard to stop once they get set up. At the same time, this is how it is in the big city, so to speak. You've got to be prepared for a line like this. There are defensive vulnerabilities. Let's see the Leafs take advantage of them. I would say go power for power, absolutely, in the first line, um, the first time out. So, yeah. Um, the second line, at the moment, may seem a little bit odd. Uh, it's been in flux throughout the year, and the center is probably not who you think it's going to be. At the same time, this line has gotten some time together, and again, there are going to be some blendings. Right now, we're looking at Steven Stamkos, Nicholas Paul, and Alex Kalorn. Stamkos and Kalorn have been together a lot on and off um, for most of this year and for most of the last three years. They get a lot of minutes together. At the same time, Kalorn can flip sides, Stamkos can play center or wing, um, and the two of them can move around as required. Stamkos can jump up the first line left wing, and of course, Chirelli can slot in at second line center. So Cooper has a lot of options here based around the flexibility of these players. Um, this line has killed in goals in somewhat more limited minutes because, again, of that line blender I talked about. It's shot, outshot, it's XG. Any line with Steven Stamkos on it is kind of a threat to do that. Um, he's not the pure 60-goal shooting terror that he was at his peak. He's really, really good, and he can put the puck in the net. Um, this line is nonetheless kind of the Steven Stamkos show. Like, Kalorn and Paul are great, dogged players. Paul is especially relentless on the forecheck, and he's one of those testaments to Tampa's pro scouting because he forces turnovers and makes life miserable. But still, this is the Steven Stamkos line, and you are going to prioritize him uh, if you're keeping your wits about you in the defensive zone. Um, yeah. Again, I think this line can be contained to some extent. Um, the question is, how do you choose to match up against them? Right. I think it's kind of key because the Leafs' second line, roughly defined by whatever line has had John Tavares on it, mm -hmm. has actually not been that great this year at 5-on-5. Five five. Tavares has had a bit of a, a renaissance season, but a lot of it has been on the tremendous value. He, a lot of it has been you know, buoyed by the tremendous value he provides on the penalty or on the power play. Mm -hmm. That line with William Neander, so Tavares and Neander together, have actually been underwater in goals this year. Is that what you want? No, not from a second line in theory. I, Tavares Marner have been very, very um, strong in goals. There, there is some, you know, PDO, so to speak, between Tavares and Neander's, you know, slightly poor performance. But some of that PDO is contained on the offensive end, where, like, they should have control over that to some extent. Obviously, there is always a variance, but, you know, you pay, you pay these guys good money for a reason, mm -hmm. which is, you know, that they can shoot well. Yeah. Right, and it's a 40-goal and a 30-goal guy. Like, you expect them to be able to finish. Absolutely. Um, so I don't think this would be a great matchup if they went up against the Stamkos line repeatedly. Um, 
I'm not sure we're going to see that. I feel like both teams are going to try and sort of cross-match kind of the more defensive of their depth lines with one of Tampa's star lines, or one of Tampa or Toronto's star lines, top two lines. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I think this is a question for for the Leafs because I would be very comfortable, wherever possible, stapling Matthews and Marner. And it looks like we are going with Matthews and Marner Mm -hmm. as, as as a duo. Um, I'd be comfortable stapling them to Point and Kucherov and like just whatever you deem Tampa's top line to be, mm-hmm. whether Stamkos is on it or not. The second line is harder to deal with in some sense because I very much don't want Tavares and Nylander there. And then, so do you like essentially try and make it so such that each team's second line will primarily be facing the opposing team's checking line? Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, also a little bit leery in some ways or a little bit difficult in some ways because it feels like Tampa has a better checking line than Toronto or at least a player who is more suited to really shutting down stars and Anthony Sorelli and we'll talk about him yeah now the Leafs do have Ryan O'Reilly yes Um, and that changes things yeah and you know he and Tavares I think to my eye anyway and I'm privileging my eye test here have looked good since O'Reilly's return I I think people are maybe this is just like I'm totally off I think people are underrating that Ryan O'Reilly is still very good he, like yeah, because he's not Con Smythe Ryan O'Reilly, but he's a really really good player. This is a guy who was yeah. like a fringe Hall of Fame player. Yeah. So the the point totals are not there this year, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of that in St. Louis was due to his teammates just being completely unable to finish. Um, but since he's come to Toronto, especially since he's come back from his broken finger, mm-hmm. he and his lines have been sort of dominating the ice. Mm-hmm. And that's what you really, really want to see. That's what Ryan O'Reilly's calling card has always been. Mm-hmm. He makes plays along the boards in transition with, uh, with and without the puck to just push his team in the right direction. Yeah. Right? Um, the, the thing that always gets brought up with O'Reilly, he, he's so good at getting pucks off walls mm-hmm. and into his teammates and in, or, or with himself away from, from opposition. And he just makes those small plays very, very consistently. He's been quite good since he returned from injury. I'm not sure if we see him in the top six or centering a depth line. But either way, I think he is a large part of the answer to, you know, whatever we deem Tampa's second most dangerous line to be. Mm -hmm. Right? If it's uh, O'Reilly, Tavares, Nylander, I think then you, you try and match up that line against um, <clears throat> whatever Tampa's most, second most dangerous line is. Primarily because you don't really want David Kampf and Noel Achari having to do all of that. Like they're, they're good depth-checking players, but this might be a little bit out of their pay grade. If O'Reilly is by himself on a third line with, say, like Alex Kerfoot and, and, you know, and Achari, let's say, just to pick another name, then... Maybe you match that line up against it and say, okay, this line will probably lose, but hopefully not by that much, mm-hmm. right? Basically, O'Reilly elevates a depth line to plausibly being able to take care of a star line mm-hmm. from Tampa. Yeah. Um, one other thing I want to add. We've talked about Tampa Bay earning the benefit of the doubt up and down, all of the things that they've achieved. Ryan O'Reilly, as a person, has an argument to some of that same cachet. Obviously was terrific for the St. Louis Blues at their peak, but has a long track record of being a big game player. So if you want to believe in that sort of stuff, at least we have some of that on our side this time. Um, and, and unlike the other like f- 
previous big game players that we have gotten, he is not totally washed yet. <laughs> yeah, he's not like 400-year-old Joe Thornton. Um, yeah, so I think with Stamkos, you can, again, really hope that you're going to win those minutes. Um, and again, if they're playing Nick Paul, he's a good player. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to undersell him. But, like, he's not as good as Ryan O'Reilly or whatever. Like, the Leafs can absolutely find combinations where they are straight up winning this matchup. And then it's just a matter of what does Stamkos do with the shots he gets. Um, again, you're expecting you're going to see a lot more of Anthony Cirelli than this lineup seems to suggest. He's their big checking center. And he is going to try and gum up the works against some opposition. We'll talk about the third line now where he is currently, but may not be for very long. Mm -hmm. um, I have Ross Colton, Anthony Cirelli, and Michael Isamont. This is barely a line. Isamont has, like, not played very much, and he's a fringe guy. He wouldn't be playing if Janelle was healthy, I'm pretty sure. Um, do not take it too seriously. Cirelli is the matchup center. He might nominally be on the third line, as I've said, but he's played a lot of minutes with Alex Kaloran this year, so he's going to wind up with way more minutes than his line mates. For a while, he was projected to win a Selkie. He may still do so, but he missed the first couple months of the year due to shoulder surgery. He's never quite had the offensive production that gets you in that conversation, even though his defensive results have been great. And also, Patrice Bergeron made a pack with saying to be good forever. But... If I'm John Cooper and I start thinking hard matchups, Cirelli is the guy that he's using for that. Like, he wants to throw him at somebody talented with a big name on Toronto and gum up the works for them. Um, Ross Colton is yet another of the tenacious four-checking forwards that Tampa specializes in. A lot of them aren't that big. It doesn't seem to matter. They play pretty hard. Um, he has enough chip-in offense to be a respectable third-line contributor. He had 16 goals, 16 assists. That's pretty dandy for his role. And it wouldn't stun me if Colton, Nick Paul, and Guy formed one of those persistent, annoying groups that everyone goes on about in the playoffs. You know, lots of gloves and faces, lots of chippiness and belligerence, and maybe a key goal at the right moment. Playoff-type players, as they say. And then Isamont is just the current candidate for Guy. He is, again, an average-sized, tenacious Vikes board checker. And he has just enough offensive production to suggest that he's not like a total dead weight on that end. But I don't think the legendary Tampa Bay teams would be playing him in their top nine. And this version may not do so for that long. Yeah, I, again, like the, the, the Tampa Bay teams, the peak Tampa Bay teams had guys who went on to be top six players on their third lines. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, he may prove us wrong, but Michael Isamont does not appear to be that level of player. Um, as you said, Sorelli is the important one here. Mm -hmm. And basically a lot of the paths to Tampa victory involve some version of Sorelli matches up against Matthews and Marner or um, uh, Tavares and Nylander in, over, across a large amount of minutes over the game and plays them to a draw or better. Mm -hmm. that's, that's just like a huge chunk of it. And that is not an unreasonable, th unreasonable thing to ask of Sorelli. Um, I don't think he's like a greater than 50% chance to like do that, but he is a very, very good defensive player, mm -hmm. right? He's a very good play driver. He does not have a lot of finishing skill, but his goal is not necessarily to like completely annihilate 
an opposing top line. It's to drag them into the mud with him. Yes. Right? And make the bet that we are going to do better with our top line against your depth than you were going to do against Anthony Ceretti. Mm -hmm. And that's a pretty reasonable bet. Reasonable bet. Yeah. We've talked about a miniature version of this with David Kampf a lot of times. If you have Anthony Sorelli and the other team has some sort of superstar, and at the end of the minutes, those two play against each other, the goals are about 50-50, that tends to be a win for you. Because Sorelli is not one of the best three offensive players on Tampa. They don't need him to be. But if he can be sort of a cancellation field, that's a big deal. Um... Yeah, I certainly expect we'll see a lot of uh, Cirelli. But I do think that you start to see a little bit of the the threads underneath that are being stretched in terms of the depth. I'm not saying that Tampa doesn't have scoring depth, because they do. They have a lot of these persistent, gritty, tough guys who might have the, the playoff aura and chip in a big goal. But they're not what they once were. They used to have so many goddamn weapons that were unstoppable. Well, and, and as we said off the top, like Tampa's offense has fallen off in the last few weeks and months of the season. Mm -hmm. And part of that is because they don't have elite offensive players for their station in their, in their depth roles anymore like they used to. Mm -hmm. So, all something to keep in mind there. Um, the fourth line is filled with players you probably do recognize by name. And the Lightning seem to like keeping it together. It's Patrick Maroon, Pierre-Edouard Belmar, and Corey Perry. So if you believe in grit and veteran experience and playoff identity, you will still fear this line. They have a combined four cups between them, and they have all appeared in the Stanley Cup Finals with multiple teams, which is kind of impressive. If you perhaps consider that those things overrate them a bit, you'll note that they're a combined 109 years old. Uh, Maroon is insanely underwater in penalty differential, and their line as a whole kind of gets killed in numbers. Also, none of them scores 5v5 at a rate to match Zach Aston Reese. Or at least didn't as of game 81 when I took the statistics. Mm -hmm. This, yeah, this represents a possible opportunity for the Leafs. Um, both the Leafs' fourth line and Tampa's fourth line are lines where people are. Both coaches are sort of happy if they just grind things to a halt. Mm -hmm. um, if the Leafs go with O'Reilly on the third line, and you can get something like Camp, Aston, Reese, and, I don't know, Achari or Kerfoot or maybe Matthew Nyes gets in there, like you have a bit more offensive firepower. And that, you know, you can never really expect your fourth line to put up margins on anyone. They just don't score enough to do so, like any fourth line. Mm -hmm. But you can at least have them you know, A, do no harm, and B, maybe chip in a, a goal or two, which can make a big difference in the series. Yes, um, definitely. You know, this line, if this series turns into an absolute rock fight, that would suit this line very well. They would yeah. much prefer that. You know, ugly, grinding, physical, gloves and faces and scrums, um, lots of dirty stuff, lots of slow, grim hockey where the best offensive plays are broken by borderline defense. Um, if that happens, this line will look better than it did in the regular season when it looked really bad. If not, primarily what this is going to be about is that Corey Perry is still a useful guy on the second power play unit. And that's where most of 
his utility comes at this point, to be honest. He can still score respectably 5v4. Doesn't produce a lot 5v5. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, we'll see. Again, fourth lines don't want to blow them out of pr proportion. If this line really starts struggling, John Cooper can kind of make it disappear down the stretch and just run with top, you know, three lines. Mm -hmm. You know, this line gets maybe one shift in a third period in a close game. So, yeah. Um, just trying to look at the forwards in the macro. The way that I tend to see it is Matthews and Marner should hope to beat Kucherov and points straight up. Nylander and Stamkos are pretty comparable in terms of offensive threat at this stage in their careers, and that will seem like heresy to some people who remember how good Stamkos was at his peak. Nylander outscored him this year. I do not think it's at all unrealistic to say that Nylander is on his level as an offensive player. Um, you can sort of treat Ryan O'Reilly as our equivalent to Anthony Sorelli. Sorelli is still, you know, obviously younger and maybe a little bit better. But then after that, Tampa is getting into its supporting cast, and the Leafs still have John Tavares. And I think that that one extra star forward, and he is still a star forward, even if he's in decline, I think that that goes a long way to swinging the forward matchup for me. Because I can look at this and see how the Leafs get advantages pretty much up and down the lineup. Um, right. I, I, it, 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 it's just worth bearing in mind, just this Tampa team has not performed that well over the past few few weeks and few months of the year. Yeah. Right. They've they've been they've been scuffling and part like part of that is they're playing a lot of just guys mm -hmm. and one of the Leafs' advantages is that you know they basically have very little playing time devoted to just guys. Everyone is like probably like a third liner or better, with the exception of maybe Lafferty and Camp or La and Aston Reese if he plays. Yeah. Um. Tampa can't necessarily say that. The other thing is, like, yeah, the Leafs should expect their stars to be better than Tampa stars. Yeah. And if they don't, then this series loss being the breaking up of the, the team would have a certain amount of justice to it. Yes. So let's right. hope it doesn't happen. But it's like, yeah, you got to do it now, guys. Um, yeah. B based on how they performed this year, you know, Matthews and Marner and are the best players in this series. Yeah. Right? And that's not a shot at point and Kucherov, who, as we said, are, are brilliant. Mm -hmm. But Matthews and Marner's overall completeness as players elevates them. And it's not like they have lower offensive upsides either. No. Like, actually, at this point, no pun intended, Braden Point is outshooting Austin Matthews. Um, in terms of how they've done this year, obviously Point finished with more goals. If Matthews recaptures some of that super deadly shooting form because his wrist is feeling better, again, there is potential to put up real margins on a very good offensive line. So, yeah, there's a lot there. And again, you can say, well, it's Tampa. Um, and that's really what it comes down to. But at least 5v5, the Leafs should be looking to clobber Tampa. Like, I'm not saying that they're going to wipe them out, but they should be thinking, we can beat these guys up and down the lineup if we play our very best hockey. Um, let's talk about the defense. I think historically, everyone would have said the defense is where Tampa has the advantage. And by name recognition, that's still true. 
But again, this year has made that maybe more doubtful than you would think. And then it's just a question of how real it is. Now, I have to say as a preliminary to all this, the Lightning customarily have guys nominally in their top four. So this year it's uh, Nick Perbex and Darren Radish and sometimes Zach Bogosian who don't actually play the most minutes in any game state. The real top four in terms of how much they play are Victor Hedman, Mikhail Sergachev, Ian Cole, and Eric Cyrnak. Um, they play the most minutes 5v5. They're the regular penalty killers. And Sergachev and Hedman are the only two defenders who get significant power play time. So they are the big deals, even though it sounds like Cole and Cyrnak are the third pairing. Okay. Right now, the first defense pairing is Victor Hedman and Nicholas Perbex. Um, the Lightning, as I've said, love to put Victor Hedman with some random dude. And the obvious question is, are they going to keep doing that? And the answer is no. Um, not extensively in terms of every shift for the whole game. They may start this way, but they will get Hedman extra shifts um, in different situations that Perbex does not get. Right. Uh, this, this, yeah, this is a tale as old as, as John Cooper at this point. Like, Hedman has now made a career out of they're playing him with that guy, and then that guy does reasonably well because he's being carried by Victor Hedman, and then also Victor Hedman will get some shifts where he's on the ice with, you know, at times uh, Mikhail Sergachev and then Stamkos Kucherov point, and you're like, holy fuck, that is scary. Yes, very much so. Um, look, Victor Hedman, again, he's another first ballot Hall of Famer, he has a case for best defenseman of his generation. There are other names that are in that conversation for sure, but he's... I think he has it, yeah. But, like, he's certainly yeah, he one of them, and he's my pick. Um, this year, he hasn't had the best year by his lofty standards. His defensive results have gotten worse, and it's hard to know how much that's his fault. Um, Ryan McDonough used to be kind of the sin eater on the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, defense group. And again, Hedman is not the hard matchup pairing. That is Cole and Chernak, who we'll talk about in a little bit. I'm not saying Hedman can't do it, but I'm saying that he isn't typically chosen to do it. Um, he's also lost some of his power play time to Mikhail Sergachev. Um, he got about a minute more of it a, last year, and right now Hedman is on the second power play unit, which seems insane to me. But I guess when Sergachev is the other guy, it's more tenable. Um, predictably... Hedman's point totals have gone way down from last year when he had 85. Uh, that reflects a big decline in power play production, which I don't know if is a big reassurance. Tampa's power play is still really good. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that helps you very much. In general, I think there's just so few defensemen who are actually like the, the game breakers on the power play. Yeah. And Hedman like can do it as much as pretty much anybody short of Kale McCarr. But yeah, they... They don't need him to do it. And it is possible they've been saving him a little bit. It is also possible he's going to elevate. He played against Matthews last year in the playoffs after game one. Um, and he was good at it because he's a very good fucking player. At the same time, if this decline is kind of reflective of where Hedman is at, at this stage in his career, then that is a big loss for Tampa Bay. It's very hard to replace one of the best defensemen of all time becoming merely a good defenseman. And he is 32 years old. Yeah, it would be consistent with what we see from players, which is that they just get a little bit worse as they go into their early 30s. Yeah. Right? Um, and 
you know, this, this, this is just sort of the Tampa story writ large. You know, Hedman's a microcosm form. Everything that we see on the ice tells us he's still good, but he's not as good as he used to be. Mm-hmm. But there's this lingering doubt in your mind of, well, it's the playoffs, and it's Victor Hedman. Mm-hmm. And he's done this before. He's been a big game player before. And you can extend this to Kucherov and Point and Stamkos as well. Um, obviously, they've had varying levels of uh, success and quality this year. Point and Kucherov have had brilliant offensive years. Mm-hmm. Uh, worth mentioning, Kucherov um, is the highest scoring non-Edmonton Oiler this year. Yeah, like he's... <laughs> or tied with Pasternak. Yeah, he's tied with Pasternak, I think. Yeah. So, like, yeah. you know, we're, we're not eulogizing this guy. these guys. They're not dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, yeah they... they have declined a little bit from where they were. Um, less so point, more so, you know, Kucherov, Stamkos, Hedman. Mm-hmm. And it's just, okay, are they going to, you know, have one last renaissance? That's the scary part, because a big chunk of the least advantage, such that it exists, is that you can say our stars should be better than their stars. Our stars are in our prime. Their stars are not. Mm-hmm. But if you believe in, like, the leadership juice and the playoff juice of their stars, then maybe you don't have as big a gap as you know as it appears to be on paper yeah um by the numbers he's just really struggled this year and he like again he looks exploitable but it's victor fucking headman yeah like (laughs) it's i would say headman almost as much as anything i can't convince myself that this is real like i i am sure in my heart he's going to be better it's just a question of how much better he's going to be and it is possible to me that he's now at the point where you can't have a legit dominant top pairing that is just Victor Hedman and Guy. You know what I mean? And it's a little more tenable to me to think that Perbix has to get sort of cycled out as much as possible for him to be at his best. Because I think Perbix is like a passable sort of functional depth defenseman. I don't think he's a real top four guy. Um... Yeah, Hedman frightens me, but if this decline is reflective, he's not in another world the way that he would have been in years past compared to the Leafs defenders. Okay, I just talked about one pairing where there was a big name left defenseman carrying a kind of anonymous right defenseman. Here's the same thing again on the second pairing with Mikhail Sergachev and currently Darren Radish, although Zach Bogosian has taken the job at various points this year. And if things don't go super well for Tampa, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him again. Um, Sergeyev is kind of becoming the guy on Tampa. Over the next few years, I think he's going to probably take more and more of Hedman's role. He's already started doing it on the power play. Again, he definitely has the yeah. contract that suggests that that's the eventuality. He's right? yeah, he's the big heir. They're committed to him in years and dollars in a big way. Fair enough. And again, you know the power play time, which is kind of glamour time uh in terms of a defenseman because that really boosts your totals and you get to go out and be a star um that suggests that they are beginning a gradual transition um again Sergachev is not a shutdown guy they don't use him against the hardest competition um he's a very good player he's big and he's a good skater and that goes a long way he's still kind of aggressive at times I find, like, I think there there are going to be occasional moments where Sergachev tries something and it doesn't work. And then Mr. Stay-at-home, plant-based life form Darren Radish 
is kind of called upon to bail him out a little bit. Um, if Bogosian gets in there, he's an intelligent defensive defenseman, but his mobility is kind of shot. So you would love to attack him on the rush if you could get by him, because I could see him getting burned pretty badly. Um, again, Sergachev is a very good offensive defenseman, and he's a good all-around defenseman, but he's not perfect by any means. Uh, you can expect him to play a lot of minutes, needless to say. Um, any thoughts on him? Uh, not, <laughs> not in particular, honestly. Um, yeah, I, I, I think, uh, worth noting, Sergeyshev and Hedman will double up at times. They'll play with Point and Kucherov in high-leverage situations. Um, Perviks and Radish sort of represent opportunities for the Leafs. Mm-hmm. Um, the Leafs don't really play any defenseman who is below kind of a 4-5 tweener. Or at least they shouldn't, in my opinion. Uh, Luke Shen maybe complicates that somewhat. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Leafs' defense, even with Shen, the Leafs' defensive depth probably matches that of the Lightning on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, like, it, it feels... This, this is less of a focus that we have in terms of like the tactical component of this, but I'm sure the Leafs' coaching staff is trying to find ways to exploit Radish and Pervix specifically. Yeah. Right. Um, the same way Tampa will be trying to do that with probably like Luke Shen and, and our other defenders. But Luke Shen's like the most easily exploitable with the puck on his stick anyways. Um, as a side note, I mean, what the Leafs have done the last two playoffs with Morgan Riley and Bushkin and now Morgan Riley with Luke Shen is like the um, bootleg version of what Tampa has done with Hedman. Yeah. And it's worked predictably not as well because Riley's not as good. But it has felt like that sort of thing. And... I expect, you know, Radish and Perbix will play quite conservatively. You know, the Tampa knows as well as anyone that the weakness of these pairings is on the right side. And so they're going to have these guys try and play probably more conservatively so that they don't get exposed. Um, certainly in the playoff series, that would be the first thing you would expect the coach to do. Uh, yes. We'll see if And as, as a result, they both, have, I mean, maybe not directly as a result of that, but both of them have... Um, below average impacts on Tampa's offense, perhaps because they're not that good with the puck and they can, you know, they can give up possession, you know, with, with some regularity. Right. Um, so yeah, again, you're going to expect it to favor the left side. Um, this nominal third defense pairing is Tampa's shutdown pair. And it's a little bit surprising. Um, Ian Cole and Eric Chernak. Now Chernak's not surprising. He did it with Ryan McDonough in a similar role last year. I'm surprised how well it's worked with a 34-year-old Ian Cole. Like, kind of staggering. He's come from Carolina, and uh, Carolina famously has good defense. But he's settled right in, and his defensive impacts are almost unbelievably good in tough minutes. Um, Cole and Chernak, neither of them is going to set, you know, the ice speed record. They're both going to be tough, physical, defensively sound in their own zone kind of players. And I think when the Leafs set up the cycle, John Cooper will much prefer it if it's Colin Chernak, who they are facing up against, because those guys are going to be very solid in their own zone. Maybe there's a bit of an exploitable speed advantage there somewhat. As we've remarked many times before, the Leafs aren't that fast, so... I don't know if Nylander or Lafferty are going to be able to make much hay against them, but that would be kind of what you hope for. If Cooper wants to throw a defensive pairing at 
one of the Leafs star forwards, and he should, probably Matthews. Cole and Chernak would seem like the guys. Um, yeah. So that's the uh, the Tampa defense core. Again, plus or minus Zach Bogosian at some later date. And I think you can say that the Leafs probably have a better defense <laughs> this year, which feels sacrilegious to say in the face of Victor Hedman. But I mean, they perform similarly well defensively. Yeah. Uh, uh, their, over, their overall numbers. Uh, and... I also one thing worth discussing. I know I keep coming back to Tampa's poor performance in the past few weeks or months of, of this year. It feels to me like that would be more associated with offense than with defense. Mm. It feels like coaches, no matter how much you're <laughs> taking it easy, would not really accept like teams dogging it defensively. Mm. Um, Tampa's defense throughout has been actually relatively similar. The, the, it, it got a little bit worse in the last like 20 games or so, but the real drop off was was their offense. So maybe, maybe I just wanted to bring that up. I thought, I thought yeah. That might be, that might be relevant. Yeah. And you know, they still, they're very good at what they do. Like, you know, Tampa in the past has been a very good defensive team. Even if they've fallen off a little bit, they're still playing in front of a very good goalie. And I can certainly see why you would be skeptical that these numbers really reflect the quality of the Tampa Bay Lightning defense group. Um, at the same time, I look at the Leafs. You know, I did that comparison with the forwards. I like um, McCabe Brody as a shutdown pairing against pretty much anybody. I, I think that they're very respectable. The issue is going to be, to me, Riley Shen seems a little questionable. You know, Shen is going to play very conservatively because um, he has to. And the, the physical element that he brings might be welcome. But I do worry a little bit about that pairing get expo- getting exposed, especially when Riley overcommits, as he is wont to do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, Mark Giordano, obviously we've remarked on many times before, has aged like fine wine. Not super blazing fast, obviously. Um, not that he ever was, but now he's <laughs> 39 years old. But he's still very, very good. Um, and then you have Justin Hall, much maligned, much lamented, but certainly capable of playing... Uh, uh, five or six roll. Yeah. Um, the starting goalie, unfortunately, Tampa's is better than ours. Uh, well, and, and the thing yeah. is, this year, Samsonov has outperformed Vasilevsky. Yes. It, if you ask me to bet who has the goaltending advantage, I'm not I'm sure it's fucked up to say Toronto. <laughs> Zero people on the planet <laughs> would say that. But, yeah, Samsonov has been good this year. And Vasilevsky has been good. But he hasn't been the best goalie on the planet this year, I guess. Right. And again, like if, if you're if you're the if you're advocating for Tampa, a chunk of it is the a significant portion of the difference between the Leafs this season and Tampa this season was that the Leafs got better goaltending than Tampa. And mm-hmm. I talked about how the backups are like largely now irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Uh, if either team plays their backup, they're like in a rough spot. Yeah. I, the Leafs are in a better spot if they play their backups, frankly, than, than Tampa because Brian Elliott's washed. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Joe Wall, at least, it, it doesn't appear to be <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess who knows about Matt Murray. Anyways, that's beside my point. My point is uh, the gap between Toronto and Tampa, a, a chunk of it is due to goaltending. Some of that's due to backup. Some of that was due to Toronto starter just being better than Tampa starter on a permanent basis. But... You know, that is highly, highly volatile, and almost everyone would agree that Tampa starter is better, can be trusted more in the playoffs, has a longer track record, is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah. 
and there's no getting around that. You know, there's a class of goalies who can be consistently excellent year to year over a long span. It's a small fucking class. There are guys who will jump up for a year or two and then fall back to the pack or just be subject to all the crazy variants. The starters who consistently show themselves in the very top tier are worth their weight in gold. Vasilevsky is in that, in that tier. Um, I, if the Leafs saw off in goaltending in this series, the Leafs are probably going to win. Like, very likely. But you would project a goaltending advantage for Vasilevsky. Needless to say, if we see Brian Elliott at all, one of two things have happened. And both of them involve the intervention of God. One of them is that the Leafs are going to cruise to round two. The other is that God is now laughing at us even more cruelly than he has done in the past by setting us up to get dunked on by a guy most people thought was retired. So, bottom line here, goaltending advantage Tampa Bay. Let's hope it's not too big. Vasilevsky <laughs> is big and covers the crease like a motherfucker. He's just so good at not ever being out of position, and I hate it. Right, and it does feel like Tam or Toronto has more disaster potential here. Like it's easier to see Samsonov just have it, pulling up an eight forty five over a playoff series than it is to to see Vasilevsky do that. Yeah, where you're just like, well, he's gonna wilt into the bright lights. Uh, Samsonov, I believe, has one NHL playoff game. Um, yeah, Vasilevsky has somewhat more than that. Citation <laughs> needed. <laughs> I think so. Projected. <laughs> okay. So yeah, I mean that. that I think that that's a concern if you're a Leafs fan um, and you point to like, okay, are we have been better than Tampa for a while? You can, yes, but a lot of that is goaltending and how confident are you that that is going to actually, you know, yeah. be, be there for us when, when we really need it to be. Yeah. I was actually talking about this series with my dad um, and we just straight up said, you know, it's Leafs except goaltending and there's no getting around that angle. So you just have to hope for the best. Um, we're going to talk about the special teams a little bit here. Um, the first power play unit for Tampa is Killorn, Point, Kucherov, Stamkos, Sergachev. Sergachev can swap out for Victor Hedman if Cooper decides that's what he's wanted, he wants to do. Um, this is scary and there's no getting around it. Like, Point, Kucherov, and Stamkos as shooting options on your power play is just not something that most teams can answer. Uh, Cam Turan has, at The Athletic, has talked about, you know, the Leafs and their special teams. And he mentioned that the Leafs had some success against Tampa's power play early last year by shutting them down on the zone entries, which are fairly predictable. They just kick out to the wings the way most teams do. If you can stop them getting set up, you have a prayer. But once they are set up, they have so many shooting options that there's only so much you can do. And if they get a certain number of chances, some of them are going to go in. Right. And they're also the type of power play. That, so they have fairly rigid setups, but they move around within the same formation a fair bit, mm -hmm. which creates opportunities and passing lanes. But also they have a very um, simple fallback option on the power play. And we talked about this a bit last year, but like when all else goes wrong, a very simple pass from the defenseman at the top to either Stamkos and Kucherov at you know either of the two flanks and then rip in one-timers. You can't stop them from getting that shot. 
it's just it's impossible to contest you have one fewer player than they do and if you set out to defend that you're playing a four on three mm -hmm. um and those shots are not the absolute most efficient shots in the world right it's better if you get more cross ice movement it's better if there's more passing beforehand but you know it, it's the kevin durant mid-range jumper of the nba mm -hmm. When things go badly, when you just need a shot, it's a really good thing to be able to rely on because no one can stop it. And at some point, it's going to go in and you can, <laughs> like, you know, you're, you're just going to have to hold that. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know that there's a huge answer. Um, over the last five years, Tampa Bay leads the league in penalties drawn and penalties taken. This year, they are about third, I believe, in both metrics. But, like, again... Mm -hmm. They take a lot of penalties on the assumption that, one, the refs can't call everything, and two, the refs will tend to even things up. And even if Tampa Bay doesn't get a huge penalty differential advantage out of this, they're still generally okay with it because their special teams have historically been very good. Um, there's been a bit of a decline on the penalty kill this year. We'll talk about that. Um, but the fact remains they still have a very good power play, and... If it gets a certain number of opportunities, it gets goals. And I'm not sure it's totally answerable other than you shut down as many entries as you can and you hope it's not enough to kill you. Um, if you want to be an optimist, you can say the Leafs actually have had a slightly better power play this year. Um, but if you don't trust that to continue into the playoffs, I don't really blame you because it's been an issue in the past. Right. And the Leafs have kind of very much tried this year to continually vary the looks on their power play, right? Different formations, different players on it at times, varying um, the setups, varying all sorts of things, basically all in an attempt, to, at least to me, to make it more difficult to shut them down in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. When scouting is ramped up, when teams can really hone in on your tendencies. We'll see if it works. Every goal is going to matter in this series. Yeah, like, it's very easy to see this coming down to one goal again, and then maybe that is just uh, one extra penalty and one failed zone entry and one shot from Stamkos. So we'll see. Um, on the penalty kill, this is, again, not set in stone. Um, Cirelli, Belmar, um, Chernak, and Cole are the four big names, but you can expect to see Nick Paul and Brandon Hagel, too. Something I've found kind of interesting is Cirelli is actually a pretty ordinary face-off man for a guy who's supposed to contend for the Selkie. Um, so Nick Paul might actually be in there to take more face-offs. Expect a lot of, you know, Eric Chernak and Ian Cole. They've been good, but not great on the penalty kill, which is notable and maybe where you see the missing Ryan McDonough because he used to be the anchor of their penalty kill unit. Tampa's whole strategy, which is take a lot of penalties... Um, and dominate special teams, obviously gets a little bit weaker if the penalty kill does. And I would expect, based on what we know, there are going to be a lot of penalties in the first few games of the series before the refs start putting the whistles away out of fear of deciding it later. Um, Cam Chiron, again, is, uh, has noticed this trend. So as that margin builds up early, um, we'll see if this is the kind of thing where Tampa is still getting a big advantage there. Um, any thoughts on that? Or I think that's that's basically that that hits it on the on the head pretty well. Okay, so we've talked about the Tampa Bay Lightning for over an hour now. Let's make a prediction. 
What do you think, Arvin? Uh, Toronto's the favorite, as we, as we covered, not by as large an amount as the data suggests. Mm -hmm. Tampa struggled for large parts of this year. I think that matters. Doesn't mean everything, but it means something. Mm -hmm. um, basically, I just don't, I don't think we can throw out the last 25 to 30 games or so. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think the Leafs are favorites. Um, but being favorites alone doesn't really guarantee anything. I feel like the most likely option of you know the eight possibilities this series uh, has an ending is Leafs in seven, mm -hmm. but I do not feel good about it. No, and how could you? Um, if you anonymized all of this information and just said, you know, here is uh, John Brown, who plays first line center for the blank blanks, I would pick the Leafs in about five and a half games. Because I know who these teams are and what they've done historically before this regular season, I'm saying Leafs in seven. That is a certain amount of deference that I think is due to everything that they've achieved before and the fact that they've proven to be a good playoff team. But that said, Toronto is better and should play like it, and I do not believe that this team is fatally flawed. And if, mm -hmm. if this is it, then I guess I'm kind of going down with the ship on this one, but Leafs in seven. Fuck it. All right. So that is our postseason preview. We, uh, we're not entirely sure how uh, the pods during the series are going to shake out. We'll probably just play it by ear. So you may hear from us uh, sporadically. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, we finally made it. It's an exciting time. And you know something important to remember? Enjoy it. You know, playoff hockey is stressful, but try and enjoy it. This is, God knows the regular season wasn't fun. No, it was a huge drag. So, yeah, try and find some sort of happiness in the course of this proceedings. If the Leafs come out to uh, a quick lead, that might help a little bit. So It would. Um, perfect. So, thank you all for listening. You can catch all of mine and Fuleman's stuff at pensionplanpuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RV and AT Fuleman. We'll see you in a bit.